Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we are joined by Andreas the CEO and founder of Model Management. Andreas, you're very welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thank you very much for welcoming me. Yeah, I'm delighted to have you. Um, typical fashion of, a, of the show is we spend the first couple of minutes getting to know you, um, and then we'll go into other areas. But let's start there. Uh, did you grow up in Germany? Yes, I'm German. I grew up in Germany until I was... 26 and then I, I moved to Spain. Have you got any favorite memories of your time growing up in Germany? Favorite hobbies? Yeah, any standout memories of growing up in Germany? Of course, playing in the streets with my friends, playing soccer and being a big soccer fan, Bayern Munich at that time. Now I live in Barcelona. I'm, I'm almost more fan of Barcelona, even though it's quite hard the last couple of of months, but yeah, yeah, definitely my best childhood memories are playing with my with my boyfriends, my friends in the street, and and enjoy it. Excellent. Um, one question I like to ask my guests is around influence, and what I mean by that is my guests can usually point to a small group of people, uh, a close friend, a family member, a teacher who had a big impact on their early life that helped them become the person they are today. Can you think of anyone that had a positive influence on young Andreas? And if so, who are they? Definitely. I'm a strong believer of that. Um, Actually, I read a a book about self-branding. And um, my my theory is that you should have two people in mind that that you think are, are people you admire and you would follow. And if you make a hard decision, like something you struggle, you just think like, what would these two people decide? And it helps you to make the right decision. And I, I had two people who were like my my mentors. Um, mm-hmm. A part of of uh, of course, you you have influential people like your parents and your wife. But let's let's uh, say something outside that circle. Uh, one is an entrepreneur. He um, is 15 years older than me. Um, I, I teach his son uh, mathematics, uh, and then I, I, that's how I knew him. And he's an excellent entrepreneur. He just t- uh, teach me so many things about how, like the basics of how to run a business. He also teach me that you can be uh, generous and friendly and still be very successful in business, um, which I thought from from watching TV shows and other stories that you have to be mean and hard and, and fight to be successful. Um, and my other mentor was, a, was my aunt. Um, she was much older than me, also, um, she she got divorced. She got she um, her husband died, and she had to be an entrepreneur from one day to the other when she was fifty. And um, wow. and she also teached me a lot, like how she handled that situation, like being from one day to the other, boss of a big company, her husband dying, having four kids. Um, and she was always so generous and so so positive until she died. And still, she was one year lying in bed suffering, and she always told me when she saw me, like I'm so grateful for everything I got in my life, Andreas. Um, and she just teach me that gratefulness and, and generosity. 
Wow. Well, big shout out to your your auntie um, and uh, your friend as well. They sound like they've had a positive impact on the person you've turned out to be. Um, if anybody looks at your LinkedIn account, it will it's easy to see that you're a serial entrepreneur. However, I'd like to go back in time to the year 2005. You spent four years as the interim manager of GMT uh, Iberia, uh, expanding South Europe. While you were there on your LinkedIn, it says that you set up the sales strategy, landed some key accounts and found the future managing director. So my question here is probably two questions. One, what key lessons did you learn from your time at GNT Iberia? Did you improve any skills? And then what, if any mistakes, did you learn from during your four years there that you've brought with you to your current role um, uh, to, that has contributed to the success of businesses since then? Yeah, great. I mean, you really did your homework and made the research. So yeah, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I did only two like other things in between. One was this uh, period at interim manager at GNT, and I had an advisor job uh, like in 2017-18. Um, funny enough, this uh, the boss of this company is one of the guys, uh, my mentor, uh, is the, the, the friend who, who teach me a lot about entrepreneurship, and and he asked me uh, if I can help him expanding his business to to South Europe. And I did it because I knew I would learn a lot from him and I could help him as well because I, I'm, I'm good in, in opening new doors, opening new business opportunities. So my learning was um, it is good if you're an entrepreneur to put yourself in the shoes of another entrepreneur and help him to solve his problems, to see another business like an advisor or like somebody outside because um, you learn a lot from this person and you also can give a lot because you just have an outside perspective. So. Um, I think that was a good a good experience. Um, the, the company was incre it's incredible. It's a company in the food market uh, that changes uh, the way how, how how food is produced because they they offer colors purely from natural ingredients. That means um, like juices, uh, fruits, and vegetables uh, concentrates. And my experience, um, like personal experience in that years, was I, I was talking to the big big food and beverage uh, companies like Coca Cola, Pepsi. Um, uh, Danone, Nestle, all those, um, that unfortunately, all these big companies, they don't have a conscious, uh, they don't have um, a soul. That means they are purely marketing and price driven. And when you, when you try to sell them a product um, that maybe is not as cheap or not as easy to sell to your customers, but it's much better for the, for the customers, like sustainable, much better, you have to find the one person in the company who has values and who believes in that, and and then you can get it through. You can just not go to the normal marketing and sales department, have a normal pitch because the whole company is driven by numbers, marketing, prices, and reports that show how successful they were growing. But there's always some people in every company, in every unit, in every government. You have innovators, you have uh, people who believe in values and, uh, and, 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 and things that you also believe. So you have to find this person if you want to sell something. Who, who shares your values, who, who shares something that you believe in as well. And then with this person, you you can land the, the product. Nice. I like that. That's interesting that there's always a few people that you can uh, pick out that will help you make the progress internally in those companies. Um, 
Today, you're the CEO at Model Management, trusted by over 1 million models uh, and brands such as Nike, Audi, Garnier, H&M, ITV. So rather than me tell the listeners what model management is, uh, you're the CEO, you'll do a better job. So the microphone is yours. Yes, good. So to start with, I always insist it's modelmanagement.com because it's a tech company, it's a dot-com company. Um, it's not a model agency, which many people would think. Um, obviously, with more than a million users, models, and also uh, more than 50,000 customers using it to find models and talents, uh, this cannot be an agency handled by people that can also only be handled by tech. So that's the first point. Um, I, I started this because yeah, I'm an entrepreneur and I married a, a model, so that's how I, I knew the industry uh, 20, more than 20 years ago. And I saw that this industry is very... Um, fragmented, not very effective um, or efficient in, in the way it's done. And uh, I had the idea to, to change it. And um, so I, I wanted to build a platform and I started this um, already very early. Um, I failed, I would say in 2008, I started the first intent, uh, invested a lot of money and failed because I didn't get it. Um, and then uh, I did it again in 2017 when the time was ready. So what we did right now to describe what model.com is, we build a platform kind of Airbnb or booking.com, but for this industry where clients who produce content, uh, content means video or photo uh, content for advertising, um, for commercial use, could be at a TV channel, on a magazine or social media or on internet, and who need people in front of the, of the camera, people who represent the brand or the service, and they need to find these people because you have to find a fit that represents best your service or your, your product. Mm. And, um, and this is usually done through model agencies or talent agencies. That means these brands they call or the producer, um, whoever is, is the one in charge of doing the content, calls um, an agency and tries to find the right talent or model. Um, and we build a platform where you can do that just online. So we, we solve two problems. One is to match the needs of the content creator. So I need a, let's say a blonde guy, 2025, playing soccer, in London because I wanted to do a TV commercial for Nike in London. So you find a lot of people with this profile. You can choose the one who fits best. And then the second problem after the matching is the contract and the payment. So we once you agree with somebody that he's the right person or she's the right person, you do a contract where you uh, put in all the, the legal aspects and mainly the, the so-called buyouts or the royalties, which means if you, for example, Ryan, if you do a TV commercial for Nike, mm. what you get paid depends a lot on, on which countries the TV commercial will be shown and how, how much time. So the more years the commercial is shown and the more countries it's shown, the more money you can get. Just to give an example, like a, a simple daily fee of 2,000 euros, which is a lot of money, can become a fee of 50,000 or more, 100,000, if it's a worldwide campaign uh, on all channels, let's say. Yeah, but if it's just a local Irish campaign, maybe only on YouTube, you would not get anything additionally to 2000 because it's just included in the, in the fee. Mm. So you make this as a contract and we use um, digital or smart contracts. And then, of course, the payment as well has to be done to the platform. So we just have a one-stop shop from finding the right people, uh, making the contract payment. And then afterwards, like on Airbnb, reviews and follow-up. So you can also build your, your, your trusted community, you can uh, find uh, information about clients and models because other people who work with them can leave a review. 
um, and you can see how many times they were working and booked, how many connections they have, and so on and so on. On your model management LinkedIn company page, you've posted a number of jobs over the last few months. Um, there's an article by Harvard Business Review that says the cost of a bad or the wrong hire can set a company back five times that annual wage. So if someone uh, you're hiring someone for 20,000 euro uh, and you get it wrong, the missed opportunity and several other factors can equate to about 100,000 euro lost a year. Um, so how do you, do you have a process for hiring or do you go off gut feeling? <laughs> very, very good question. Um, gut feeling is, is always very important. Um, so first of all, my, my, uh, my principles are if I have to choose between the best expert and the best person fit in terms of, uh, I think I like, I, work, I like to work with somebody and he, he fits to my company culture, I would always go for the company culture and the fit, the person, because I, can, I think that if you have the right person, you can get the skills to work in the, in the vertical, to be an expert in something, rather than if you have an expert, but he doesn't fit to your culture. So gut feelings means, do I think that this person fits to our company, does have to share, shares the same values as we have, and you can just build up a future with this person because the person comes with skills, but they have to learn the company uh, culture, the company DNA, the company values, and, and then together with the skills, you grow. Yeah? If you just, if you don't have a match, that doesn't work. So it's gut feelings, but then of course, I made a lot of mistakes um, being too quick with gut feeling, just saying, oh, he's great, she's great, so let's, let's hire him or her. Also, I have a lot of pressure that I have to hire people because I have to solve problems, but now we're growing very, very fast. So I just want to get the problem out of the way and hire somebody, but it's not good. So I think you should have a very good process. I have an HR person or an external HR person who helps you to double check. We should also have somebody in the company, like a 4 I principal who also double checks and rather do two, three interviews or four than, than one or two. And what I really like is also having kind of an assessment center or like an assessment task. So once I think the person is good, give him or her a little task so that you can see how the person understands his job, what kind of ideas or, or facts the person brings to the table. And that gives a very good feeling at the end of the you can very You can see very well uh, just whatever it is, just how the person presents a one pager, what, what and how the person writes and what they understood. That, that gives me then the final conclusion and not, not gut feeling so much anymore. There is a tool that some of my friends have used in the past. It's uh, called CARE, K-A-R-E. It stands for keep, attain, recapture and expand. You might be wondering, what does that have to do with this conversation? It's a tool that people use where they draw a diagram and they look at the clients they have and clients they want to get. So they want look at the clients for keep, the, the key accounts that they want to keep. Then when it comes to A, the accounts that they want to attain over the next quarter. Then when it comes to OR, the accounts that they've lost that they want to recapture. And then when it comes to E, the accounts that they have, but they want to expand within or upsell within those accounts. So it's just an easy tool to put up on a whiteboard and every quarter or once a year, you look at and, and, and see where the business stands and how you plan to grow, 
the business leveraging these accounts. So my question for you is when it comes to winning or attaining new accounts with the brands, not the uh, end users, um, how do you do so? Do you run fashion shows? Is it word of mouth, networking, paid advertising? What is it that you do to get more brands to go from 50,000 this year to 55,000 brands next year? So first of all, I, I, I got your example. I, I'm not familiar with it, but it sounds like interesting. Maybe you can send me later uh, some, sure. some link to it. Sure. Um, I would like to look into it. So what we do is um, we, we use a lot of uh, funnels, starting with, with ads on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, more LinkedIn lately because it's more B2B. Mm. And uh, we have a system, like a typical system with the lead generation, with HubSpot, uh, then we use the software, which is brilliant, called Bluebird, um, where, which allows you to select potential leads to real prospects. And once we have identified a prospect, which means we have identified a company or a person that we think could do business with us, we have a sales team who calls them, like outbound calls, and, and tries, to under, tries to explain our product, tries to explain why working with a digital platform is more efficient more agile and faster than working with traditional agencies. And we try to get the first project. That's, our, that's the way how we do it. Uh, it's, it's like kind of a similar um, system or theory that we use to what you explained. Um, we use OKR. Um, so uh, in our OKR, it's like a quarterly objective key results. Um, mm. We identify uh, we, we define how many new clients you want to get, how much revenue you want to produce, and um, we try to get there. And this is kind of the um, yeah the the initial uh, determination of the budgets and of the goals of our sales team. How many leads they have to produce. So we have a panel um, where we can we know exactly if we get like say by by a LinkedIn campaign 1,000 leads. Um, we can probably identify 100 prospects. That means we do 100 calls, and from 100 calls, you get 20 customers. Um, and the average customer does a revenue of 10,000 euros a year, whatever. So we can generate 20 times 10,000 euros revenue by having 1,000 leads and the team working on it. Nice, solid. So it's just like a like a funnel. Is there is there a skill that when you started out in your career, uh, in your first few jobs that you were not great at, but was very important to improve if you wanted to be good in business as a founder? Definitely, um, a, lot, a lot of skills. I mean, as a founder, and I'm a single founder in that case, I have mostly been a single founder, only one in one venture I was co-founder. Um, you have to cover all the areas. You have to be a tech guy. You have to be the finance guy, the HR guy, the legal guy, uh, the marketing uh, expert, the sales expert, um, and and still have a vision to lead the team. So you, you learn, and I've, I never stop learning. I do this now for 25 years, and I'm still learning every day. Um, in the last years, when I started to do like this kind of business, which is a business, very ambitious business where we need investors, um, I think the last two years, the skills I learned from Stretch was investors' relations. So how to how to um, explain your project to investors, how to build a pitch deck, how to 
presented to investors, how evaluation kind of contracts, uh, type of investors, type of rounds, and stuff like that. That's, that's, I never had that before. I was I was investing myself, little like angel investors, um, but I never was involved at a startup which did like go for VCs and stuff. So this was lately probably the, the one I learned most. And I, I'm an engineer. Um, I'm a creative engineer, I would say. My family is all architects. Um, and I started internet. So uh, I love the marketing part. I love the creative part. I like the tech part. But what really cost me always was the financial part. Um, and I had to work very hard to understand my, my financial plannings, to build a good, solid financial planning, understand the balance and the P&G and everything. So that, is, uh, that comes with discipline and really understanding that you need to do that. It's not something that is uh, totally fit to my natural born talent. Nice. Two questions left for you, Andreas. Have you got a personal definition of success? Happiness. <clears throat> for me, success is happiness. I'm, uh, I'm, I have my goal, and, but the, also I always say like uh, the journey is a destination. Um, if I'm happy every day with what I'm doing um, and I'm, I'm proud of what I'm doing, then I'm very successful. Nice. In Ireland, it's called secondary school. I'm not too sure what it's called in Germany. High school, teenage kids when they go to school, so 11 to 18 years old, before they go to university. Um, in that period of their life, if you were the decision maker to add one mandatory subject to the curriculum for teenagers in school, uh, what would it be? And why? Happiness. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I can. Sorry, but it's just like this. I think we we don't learn. We uh, in the traditional school we are driven by results. Um, uh, the the teachers uh, have a red pencil and they say this is wrong and right. And you have a system where certain things like mathematics or languages or geographics uh, are the one that determine if you are good or successful or not. Um, but you don't learn anything about emotions, about what makes you really happy, what is your talent. So I would say happiness would be the, the, the thing that I would include. And within happiness, it would be about your emotions, about how to get happy, what is important for you, um, and all this, all this stuff. So that's, that's what I would change. Great answer. Andreas, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I will leave links to articles mentioned, your website, your LinkedIn page, your social channels, if anybody wants to learn more um, or get involved. Lorcan, again, thanks for connecting myself and Andreas. But for today, let's leave it there. And thanks for being my guest. Thank you very much, Ryan. It was my pleasure. If your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you. Beautiful morning, get a sun in my